Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Perfect Stranglers. This is Bree. And I'm Kylie. It's spooky season. I am so amped that it's spooky season. Yeah. Like, so normally, so normally I think of like what I'm going to do for Halloween, like months in advance. Like, and when I say months, I mean like spring. Uh huh. April around April, and uh, I've like I've had one idea in my mind this entire time, and I like don't want to say it, but like I kind of want to say it, but I don't want to say it because it's really good. <laughs> I don't know. I get really weird about it. Superstitious. Okay. Do you want to know what it is? Yes. <laughs> you have to say it now. You have to. Okay. I want to be poison ivy. Okay. That would be awesome. Like, full on. Like, I want to paint my body green. I want to have a long red wig. I've always been disgusting for Halloween. Blood, ripping faces off. Like, you know, I want to be something not bloody. So possibly that. Right. Yeah. So I used to live um, above a bar downtown. And, Which one? Uh, above Brothers. Oh, you lived above Brothers? Yeah, during hair school. I, I totally, I <gasps> lived above Brothers did? for like, yep, for like three years. Oh my God. And I'm so, sorry. you know, I'd see all of the um, Halloween costumes and stuff. The weirdest one that I saw was Sexy Crayons. It was a group costume, <laughs> and the girls were dressed as sexy crayons. <laughs> so, <laughs> what color was there? A red one. Um, I I remember a green one, a blue one, and a pink one. Oh, where was the sexy red one? <laughs> right, I don't know. I mean, definitely missed opportunity there. That is so weird. It is so yeah, bizarre. It was weird. I've seen I I saw some shit. I couldn't definitely. I saw I saw a proposal um, on St. Patrick's Day, and the guy was kneeling down like next to a puddle of puke. It was really romantic. Oh my god! <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Brothers is in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, and I know that there's a record for La Crosse having the most bars, or whatever. So I googled it, and. Lacrosse at one time Lacrosse broke a Guinness Book World Record with the most bars or nightclubs located on one street, which is Third Street downtown. And I don't know if that still stands today, but yeah. And it's also yeah. Just bad records being broken about alcohol there. But it's fun on Halloween. To a point. It is. And um Lacrosse is breaking other records for COVID <sighs> recently. So Thanks COVID. Thanks twenty twenty. Right. Thanks. I mean, what else are you going to do during 2020? Start a podcast about awful stuff. Exactly. So uh, what kind of awful stuff are we talking about today? Uh, today we are talking about H.H. H. Holmes. Ever heard okay. of him? Yes. Okay. So here's my thing on H.H. H. Holmes. There are... I, okay. Chicago. It's in Chicago, right? Yeah. Okay, so I know, like, and I feel bad being, like, a true crime fan and not knowing the ins and outs of H.H. Holmes. I know it's gross. I know, like, the broad spectrum thing, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
I don't know the details, so I'm excited to hear about the details of it. Yeah. Well, he was actually um, America's first known serial killer. Okay, that's like the one thing I do know. Because yeah. it's in the 1800s? Or... Uh, yes, the late 1800s. Okay. Yeah. So anyone else that would have killed would have killed um, prior to that was labeled as a serial killer after that once they realized what well, actually, defines a serial killer. The, in the H.H. H. Holmes case, um, the mm-hmm. newspapers, uh, they referred to him as a multi-murderer because the term serial killer hadn't been invented yet. And that's why we watch Mindhunter on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> See? Okay, let's, he- let's right. give it to me. Give it to yeah. me straight. Let's jump right in. So, okay, so H.H. H. Holmes, that's not his real name. He was actually from New Hampshire. He was born as Herman Webster Mudgett. <gasps> oh, that's an yeah. awful name. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a bad. Yeah, he was born in 1861. So this is kind of an old timey mm. kind of murder. Okay. So he was uh, he was a very smart child, and his classmates were not very nice to him. He got bullied, and um, they, apparently they were kind of jealous because he was sort of a he was a smarty pants. So, I mean, have we heard his name? Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. So these kids they bully him, and one day they drug him to the doctor's office um, because they knew he was super scared of the skeleton that was in in there and they went in and they locked him in the doctor's office with this skeleton and he was yeah he was absolutely terrified no No. yeah well no shit so it actually backfired because it cured him of his fear and he began to be like fascinated with (laughs) bones and like the, your your insides. Oh my god, he had like exposure therapy and yes. it cured him immediately. What the hell? Yeah. How creepy. That reminds me of like when you see TV shows of nerds getting locked in lockers, which one, they're tiny. How is anyone fitting in there? But two, like that would either trigger severe claustrophobia or cure right? it from exposure exactly. therapy. And you know, yeah. I think when you said that, I thought of like Screech from Saved by the Bell. And, like, I'm pretty sure they actually, like, did that to him on set. They were, like, kind of treated him like like the actual character. And I'm pretty sure Screech lives in Wisconsin now. Yeah. Didn't he get arrested in Wisconsin? He stabbed a guy in a bar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Were we in cosmetology school when that happened? I feel like we were. I think so. And then he was trying to, like, he was trying to, like, save his house because it was, like, going to be going into foreclosure and he was selling t-shirts do you remember mm-hmm. that <laughs> yeah. yeah god dust oh, wow. and diamond I for- yes i forgot about that yeah huh. so well anyways back to h.h H. holmes <laughs> Sorry, <Screech. laughs> all right so he he ended up getting really interested in chemistry and anatomy and after he graduated from high school He ended up studying chemistry and anatomy um, at the University of Michigan. He went there for med school after going to University of Vermont. This documentary that I watched about H.H. Holmes, there was this criminal profiler um, that works with the FBI. His name is Tom Cronin. 
he said that most serial killers actually don't finish college. They don't have like, yeah, they, they just kind of don't, can't stick with it. Um, Did, I think, did Ted Bundy graduated from college, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. Didn't he? I thought he had a law degree or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I think, yes, I think he did. So he's probably one of the other few serial killers that actually that actually did that kind of surprises it. me because serial killers i feel like you i don't know they're they're smart aren't they most serial killers are, are smart but if like they're a, mm-hmm. a one-off killer i feel like wouldn't be as smart because it's it's kind of like out of nowhere where a serial killer they think it through so he was he had a psychology degree actually okay that makes sense for ted bundy studying yeah. humans and human behavior Okay. Well, Nicole checked on it for us, and Ted Bundy has a psychology, or had a psychology degree, but never passed law school, which makes, yeah, total sense. Right. Although he did represent himself like a lunatic. And failed. <laughs> right. Um. So, H.H. H. Holmes, he graduated from med school in 1884, and he his first job after med school was um actually a teacher um he did he actually did a lot of things he he was a doctor a teacher an asylum attendant and he also worked at drug stores in several midwestern states he changed his identity a lot because he didn't want anybody to be able to accuse him of fraud or poisoning anybody who he went to med school with because he was not on the up and up he was he was kind of a scam artist and he he was just kind of um i don't know he just just like a slimy individual exactly like you know like you just wouldn't trust him yeah you wouldn't want to trust him yeah yeah so he changed his name to henry howard holmes so that's where we get the Mm. hh holmes he moved okay. to Chicago in 1886, and the Chicago fire was in 1871. So the, the city was being rebuilt, and it was kind of thriving, and businesses and residential areas were kind of taking over and flourishing again. Okay. And he settled in this busy suburb called Inglewood. Okay. There was a train station there so lots lots of people uh came in and out and so he had lots of people to scam i need to tell a train station story quick okay so <laughs> this is nothing to do with it but i took my mom and my sister to go see celine dion <laughs> see celine dion last december in chicago mm-hmm. and they took the train from lacrosse to chicago and i drove from michigan down to chicago my mom and sister were wandering around the Chicago streets at night in the rain in December trying to find me. I'm trying to find them. I'm getting so pissed off because I know where I'm going. Like, I can handle the GPS. My mom, not used to technology, like, doesn't really know how to do it. My sister's phone is a piece of shit, I think. Um, she was having issues getting reception or whatever, and the battery was dying. Anyway, I walked around, around downtown Chicago by myself at night in the rain on a Saturday night trying to find my sister and my mom. That sounds really scary. Dude, I was so past scary and being pissed off because I was like, get 
get your asses over here use your walking gps figure it out find a landmark you're in chicago you can't tell me there's not a single landmark around that you can tell me where you're at right and google the address of it oh my gosh like come on i was so mad but we ended up having a really good time celine dion is like besides beyonce like top four concerts because the first three are beyonce but nice (laughs) anyway yes chicago train station yeah so there yes there was lots of trains going in and out he worked at this drugstore in Inglewood, and it was the E.S. Holton Drugstore. And Everett Holton, the owner, died of supposed natural causes. Several months later, uh, his wife disappeared after selling the store to H.H. Holmes. So, ooh, yeah. Well. He sips wine. Right, exactly. Got news for you. (laughs) He did this more than once, actually, with the whole drugstore thing. He also, um, he scammed creditors. He bought and sold businesses and properties under different aliases. And he also scammed his customers uh, at the drugstore with what he called mineral elixir, which, do you know what this mineral elixir was? It was city water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what we do with bottled water nowadays? Right. I mean, come on. Yes. Yes. So, in 1888, he purchased uh, this building. Um, it was a property across the street from the drugstore that he now owned at um, 63rd and Wallace is where this property was. That's where he built his murder castle it wasn't obviously known as the murder castle yet but he started construction on it and the whole community was really impressed by this huge beautiful building that he was building and they actually nicknamed it the castle so there was constant turnover for like the contractors and everyone that was building it um because he he didn't want people to know what it looked like in there and he didn't have any um like architect he he was the architect basically and so like he would scam the contractors too like he'd have he'd have them like (laughs) get the party started over here (laughs) cheers (laughs) he'd have the contractors build like half a staircase and then he'd fire them he'd have them like build a wall and then fire them he would he would like pick fights with them just to be able to fire them and stuff like that so that nobody so that would have a so they never got to see the end result no they didn't so the okay okay so i was gonna ask is this like the winchester mansion where there's a bunch of staircases leading to nothing exactly so like he built rooms and like hallways that would go to nowhere to kind of like disorient people Um, if they were trying to kind of make their way through. He didn't want anybody to have a clear idea of the floor plan. He bought a lot of stuff on credit, and then he would just had no intention of paying them back. He bought a huge bank vault on credit, and he had it put into the building as it was being built, and then he built the walls around this bank vault. And the he, once he started not making the payments, the bank company said, we, are, we need to repossess this vault because you're not paying. 
And he said, uh, fine. I mean, you can come and take it, but you better not damage my walls. Otherwise, I'm going to sue you for all your, for all that you're worth. <laughs> so they didn't take it. I mean... And also, he would, like, he bought, um, I mean, he bought lots of things. Like, he bought furniture on credit and stuff like that. And then he would hide it in one of, like, the trap doors or, like, secret rooms that he had built in. Okay, so am Just I... so they couldn't repossess. Okay. This is a no. How would you buy on credit in the 1800s? They didn't have MasterCard. No, but it was, like, I think it was kind of, like, put it on my tab. Like, like... <laughs> Okay. You know, like, they yeah. just kept a record, like, a revolving account. This seems like a horrible business plan for back in the day. It seems really stressful. A stressful... To, like, always have people on your back? Yeah, stressful. Um, were there phone books? I don't know. Like, how are you... So, obviously, like, you're gonna look up... It's, don't look at me like that. You're gonna look up an address in a phone book, right? So, I'm like, okay, <laughs> thinking back to my 90s kid days, if I were H.H. Holmes buying a... <laughs> Maybe not buying a dresser in, in a store and I needed to find H.H. Holmes. Wouldn't I look up? Did they have phones back then? Nicole, you better cut this out. That's why I looked at, that's why I was looking like that. I was like, wait, when were phones invented? <laughs> okay, maybe don't, maybe don't cut this out, Nicole. <laughs> when were phones invented? But I mean, even if phones were invented, it doesn't necessarily mean every home had one. Right. I, I don't just, know. I don't understand. How would you find someone that? I just, what are you going to go on to send the mob after them? What are you going to do? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. First phone, 1876. Right. Oh, like when they have okay, the woman so... doing the, um, I always see in like movies where they have like the, the woman doing right, the, like the marvelous know... Mrs. Maisel, but I think that was later. Okay. I don't know. The, the switchboards. Right. Yes, a switchboard. Man. Yes. I feel like I didn't graduate high school. <laughs> <laughs> so might be a serial killer over here. I, I I cry too much for that. I think it's probably <laughs> it's probably safe to assume that they they okay. didn't have phones. It was probably wasn't common then. Okay, so the mob was searching for everyone. Got it, got it. <laughs> Noted. In this castle on sixty third and Wallace, the bottom uh, floor, the street level. It had a jewelry store, a pharmacy, a barber shop, a restaurant, a blacksmith, and so it just kind of was your normal shops and stuff like that. Okay. And the third floor had rented rooms. Um, they had legit offices, and Holmes's bedroom was up there as well. Um, the second floor had 35 rooms that were specifically designed to torture and kill people. So this is like the creepy part of the house. He had false walls and dead ends, um, like we were saying before, kind of like the Mm -hmm. Winchester mansion, um, intended to disorient. There were staircases and doorways that led to nowhere. And there was also a greased chute (gasps) that dropped all the way down to the basement. A greased chute? Yeah. It was for easy disposal of bodies. 
Oh my as god, it turns that is out. so gross. Okay, so side note on that, you know, okay, my mom listens to this podcast. You know, pleasures in lacrosse. Yes. Okay, it's a porn store, guys. Okay. One time I was in there with some friends, and we were talking about like how weird the inside of the space was. Because it just doesn't fit like a normal store. You could tell it used to be something else basically going in it. And uh, we found out that so lacrosse does like ghost tours or whatever. It used to be half of it was a morgue and half of it was a funeral home. And there's a body shoot that is still like it's there that goes down into the basement. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That that's that's scary. I wonder if the people who work there know that. I mean, back, like, this had to have been, like, I had to have been, like, 24, so six years ago when I heard this story. So if anyone still works there, that was there at that point, they know. And they they would tell us that, or so when I was in there and we were talking to the guy who was telling us about this, he was like, yeah, like, weird stuff happens in here. Like, it's legit haunted. Oh, my gosh. Hey, any... Any employees of Pleasures in downtown Lacrosse, email us. <laughs> and right? send us free samples. <laughs> <laughs> of like strawberry flavored lube or something. Yes. <laughs> Edible panties. Yes. No, just kidding. Actually, no, e- email us. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> email us your creepy stories. Yes. What happens in there? What creepy yes, stuff happens? I want to know the good, bad, and the ugly of all the weird, creepy stuff that happens. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of, you know, tweakers in there at odd hours. I'm sure you do. I'm going to cry. My mommy bladder's going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, anyway. <sighs> all right, so the basement in this supposed castle, right, it had vats of acid and pits of quicklime, and it had a crematorium. It was actually disguised as a glass bending, um, a glass bending oven. Oh my god! Which yeah. apparently it was not actually the right size for that. And no one just looked into it. Um, no, I guess not. It was it was the right size for burning bodies, but not the right size <laughs> for bending glass. I guess. Wow. Um, he also had what he called an elasticity determinator, which basically it was just a stretcher. He want he was trying to create a race of giants, as he put it. Oh my god! But he would like tie them up, like their wrists and their ankles, and just like and just stretch, stretch it, like them? yeah, like some type of you know medieval like Torture. something that maybe that yes, exactly something maybe the Inquisition would use or something like that. Oh my god. And then he'd, he would, so he'd clean off the bones of his victims and he'd reassemble them and sell them to medical schools and universities because he had connections. I mean, he was a doctor. Didn't they so, wonder where he's getting these bones from? Did no one question it? Uh, I guess back in that day and I've, I mean, up till, I mean, fairly recently, I think. Yeah. Uh, there hasn't been too big of regulations on that. I mean, people back in the day, people used to like grave rob and stuff like that. Yeah. To sell the, the skeletons to medical colleges and things like that. 
That's unreal. And like, yeah. really, that's not that, that's really not that long ago. No, it actually isn't. No. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. So he, he made a killing in Chicago. Pardon the pun. That's <laughs> 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 oh, good. So, so there's this other guy, right, that lived in Chicago. His name was Benjamin Peitzel. Okay. And he he met H. H. Holmes uh, when his his family moved to Chicago in uh, 1889. Uh, they had been traveling around the Midwest, uh, doing odd jobs for the past ten years, and they were kind of ready to put down roots. They had five kids. Uh, the Peitzels did. Uh, their names were Desi, the oldest girl. Alice, Nellie, Howard, and the baby, his name was Wharton. Oh, I hope they didn't call him Wart. <laughs> Could you imagine being the the youngest kid and you're definitely going to be named Wart? No one is not yeah. calling you Wart. No. Hate Poor it. little feller. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was cute. Well, he kind of was. I saw, I saw some pictures um, of the kids. Some of them look like drawn pictures. Um, okay. we should put the, we should put the pictures of these kids, uh, on our, like, Instagram or something like that, because, like, they, they kind of look scary. Okay. Like, the, the pictures of the, the, the daughters, they look drawn, and they don't look happy. I mean, who was happy back then? <laughs> they had to stand around forever for a picture. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. No, okay, the, so... The, when we release this episode, we'll put those pictures in um, the post when we release this. Okay, perfect. So the husband, um, Benjamin Peitzel, he drank heavily. Uh, he was a he was a hard worker, I guess, though. Uh, so he was looking for carpentry work uh, in Chicago, and he they became best buds, I guess. H. H. Holmes was kind of a smaller, more petite guy. And Ben Peitzel was, like, this big lumbering guy who could kind of do the heavy lifting. Okay. And they kind of became in cahoots, you could say. Uh, They started kind of scamming people together. And he helped them, like, around around the castle with uh, buildings and building things and repairs, maintenance and stuff like that. Okay. So, in 1893, uh, Chicago had the World's Fair from May to October. Um, That's it was such a long, a long time. I know. I, I like. I kind of. I didn't look it up, but I was going to. Like, why don't they have the World's Fair anymore? It seems kind of awesome. I haven't heard. Okay, so I remember in history history class hearing about the World's Fair, but not like in modern history so was that the chicago one would be the last one that i would have heard of maybe i don't know when the last world's fair was i don't know it was the it was called the columbian exhibition and it it looked pretty awesome i think there's a few like remnants of it uh in chicago uh right now but it definitely doesn't look how it did back in 1893 okay um so the the castle though it was about three miles away from the fairgrounds, and 
over like over 20 million people visited the world's fair during that time and he used that to his advantage to collect victims i mean yeah (laughs) yes so he was an opportunist on that he rented a bunch of rooms he would take the Peitzel children to the World's Fair and then he would find old ladies who looked rich and were kind of flaunting their money mm-hmm. and he would say hey like you know I have this wonderful you know boarding house or whatever that you could stay at uh, a warm bed to stay at mm. and you know which is kind of manipulative to bring the kids because yeah. I think it would kind of get their defenses down yeah that is super manipulative and very yeah. serial killery so oh definitely he just preyed on on weak people he he turned away a lot of men and so most of his guests were were women so he really just okay. played on vulnerable people single women mm-hmm. who were staying in the city uh, for the World's Fair. Yeah. So, how this kind of worked, like how we were saying before about the telephones and how there really wasn't telephones around, mm-hmm. you know, there was no Expedia.com. So, right. it's not like you can go and book your hotel before you get to the World's Fair. So, you kind of just fly by the seat of your pants, I guess, in 1893. So people were going, they were leaving their homes and, you know, going to the World's Fair. So their families knew they were going to Chicago, but they just never came home. And, like, how do you begin to look for somebody? Especially, like, back then, I have no idea. Exactly. I mean, you'd have to, like, hire a detective and have a lot of money, probably. So much money. And how would you know who to trust? You're not going to be able to track them down. What are you going to hire another detective to track your detective? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So he would invite these ladies back to his hotel to stay on his, the second floor. Some of them probably got in and out just fine. Uh, but others were not so lucky. Um, he had them staying in rooms that were insulated with asbestos to soundproof it. Oh my God. He had some rooms that had, like, gas pipes going into the vents, and they were, like, airtight rooms where he would just, like, gas them while they were sleeping. He had peepholes, too, so he could watch them suffering or watch them dying. So was there any proof of, like, sexual gratification off of any of this? Nothing that I read. I mean, I don't know that criminology probably wasn't very developed at that point either mm-hmm. okay because it sounds like having a i don't know having a a peephole sounds like sexual like he's getting off of off on it basically but right who knows? kind of but voyeuristic yeah. yes yeah so his office was the control room for all of it he had um that's where he had like the valves that he would turn the gas on uh, and suffocate people and stuff like that. So he, he was actually kind of a ladies man. 
So it was kind of easy for him to kind of snag these ladies and bring them back to the hotel. Because he was a charmer. Which, you know, he's a, he's a con man. He has to be a charmer. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what he look, look, looks like. It doesn't matter that he's a petite man. He could charm his way into the ladies' pants and then charm them into the hotel. Right. Oh, plus he was a, he was a doctor. So, yeah. you know, he's Money. like, oh, I'm... Yeah, exactly. I'm this distinguished doctor with this beautiful mansion castle thing. Mm-hmm. So he was actually, he was a bigamist too. He was married to three women at the same time. A man yeah. got around. Oh, he sure did. <laughs> oh my God. Back in 1890, he was married to this woman named Julia Connor. And she was actually uh, an employee of his and a mistress of his because at the time he was married to. Uh, this woman named Clara, who he abandoned. Um, and what so... A, what an awful human. <laughs> oh, he really was. He was yeah. just a selfish jackass. Yeah. So she lived... She lived at the castle with H.H. H. Holmes. And she had this... She had a daughter named Pearl. Mm-hmm. And he let Pearl live there as well. And she became pregnant with H.H. Holmes's kid. And she demanded, I mean, that was kind of taboo in that, in those times. So she, she demanded that he married her and he agreed. He said, yes, if she agrees to first let him give her an abortion, (laughs) cause he's a doctor and he kind of charmed her, like, let's do this the right way, let's get married, and then let's have our own child, or whatever. And she agreed. But she died, or was murdered, and nobody ever heard from her again. That was nobody... a murder. Oh, definitely. That was a murder. Definitely. But um, he... He definitely murdered her. Um, yeah. There was, there's really no proof, but nobody ever heard of... Julia, Julia or Pearl ever again. Um, a week later, after uh, after nobody had heard of Julia or Pearl, a week later, he sold a skeleton to Hahnemann Medical College for $200. Oh my god! Okay, how uh, how much I want to say how much guts, but that's like <laughs> <laughs> bad pun, but it's not meant to be fun. But like, how ballsy do you have to be to be selling skeletons of people who are missing? No doubt, you know what I mean. That was one of their skeletons. Yeah, exactly. And for two hundred dollars, apparently that's all she was worth. Oh my god, how much money? Was, I wonder how much money that was. Was that back in the day? And like, it's not like they could test the bones and see who it was, see nope. if it was a female, you know, at nope. least of her size and age. Wow. Right. DNA wow. hadn't been discovered yet. Right. Wow. Yeah, so then he he had a lot of other mistresses, too. Um, two years later, there was a girl named Emmeline Sagrand, and she was a secretary of his. Uh, she, she wasn't so lucky, either. She didn't make it out of the castle, either. Uh, he, he told her to go into the vault and grab some papers, and he sealed it up and locked it. And she suffocated in there. 
if a man tells you to go into a vault, you don't go into a vault. If anyone tells you to go into a vault, you don't go in the vault. Yeah. Or you take that person with you. Oh, exactly. And have a third party <laughs> watch the door. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, he, he, I guess, killed a few people in that vault the same exact way. But he he sold her skeleton, too. Uh, he sold it to, or what it probably was her, because it was a couple of weeks later and it was a female skeleton, uh, sold it to University of Chicago Med School. And then in a year after that, he was at it again, uh, charming the pants off of a girl named Minnie Williams. Uh, she was his new secretary and she was the beneficiary of a property in Fort Worth, Texas area. And it was valued at over $40,000 at the time, okay. which is probably a lot in today's money. I'm sure yeah. that there's some type of calculator online for that. Oh, I'm sure it is. We're just going to assume that it's a lot. Oh yeah, it's a lot. So <laughs> he murdered he murdered her too, murdered Minnie and her younger sister, Annie, uh, after having Minnie sign over the property to him. Hmm. So he, he's just kind of ruthless. Um, just kind of disposing of people, uh, yeah. along the way, just needs. getting whatever he wants. Yeah. A true con man. Exactly. He had his third wife, Get a load of this name. Her name was Georgiana Yoke. <laughs> oh my god. Georgiana yeah. Yoke. Yep. That's awful too. The names in this are just yeah. old. I know. And he he married her um, under the name Henry Mansfield Howard. So that's who she thought that he was. Oh, so he... And, yeah, because he had a bunch of identities too. Yes, he certainly oh, did. Man, I forgot about that. Yeah, she, she she lived out her entire life, so he never killed her. Oh, I wonder why. And he, I I don't think she kind of was cl she was kind of estranged from him. Okay. So <clears throat> Benjamin Peitzel uh, and his family uh, were they were close, you know, with H. H. Holmes, and. Uh, they were always around the castle. Um, workers in the castle would hear them arguing, um, Ben Peitzel and Holmes. They'd be arguing over finances. Um, Peitzel's drinking was progressing and getting a lot worse. And they were having problems with creditors and things like that. And Peitzel knew a lot about uh, Holmes's shady dealings. So he was afraid that he would tell people while he was drunk. And he had, he kind of had outlived his usefulness, I guess you could say, to Holmes. So he created uh, a scam, Holmes did, that he got the Peitzel family involved in. It was a life insurance scam. So the plan was that Carrie Peitzel, Ben Peitzel's wife, mm -hmm. would take out a large life insurance policy uh, where she was going to be the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. And 
they were going to stage Ben Peitzel's death. They were going to fake it. This um, is the part of the H.H. H. Holmes story that I have heard. Out of okay. all of that stuff, this is the part that I have heard. Yes. So, and he, he did this a couple of times, too, okay. from what I've heard. Um, so he staged, uh, faked the death. The life insurance policy was through, um, like Philadelphia is a Philadelphia company called Fidelity Mutual Life Insurance Company. Still exists. So they were going to actually fake his death in Philadelphia. I think maybe they thought it would be easier to collect if it was kind of a local a thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they traveled from Chicago to Philadelphia to try and kind of set this up. Okay. So what they were going to do is Holmes was going to substitute a cadaver, um, which he assured Peitzel he had, he'd have no problem getting a hold of cause he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then Ben Peitzel would go into hiding for a while while they collected the insurance money and split it up. So they set out Ben Peitzel and H.H. H. Holmes set out to, uh, they kind of went across the country when they were kind of on their way to Philadelphia, they kind of zigzagged all over and H.H. H. Holmes kind of had a different name for every city that he was in. He went by Harry Gordon, G. Howell, Alexander E. Cook, A.C. Hayes, Franklin Pratt, Herbert A. Henderson, which reminds me of Harry and the Hendersons. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Edward Hatch, Melvin Hollis, and J.A. Judson, and just a whole bunch of names. He had never been caught before, but in July of 1894, uh, he tried to do the old drugstore scam where he Mm -hmm. tried to... He tries to kind of get control uh, of the business and poison the owners. He tried that in St. Louis, and he got locked up and put into the jail there. Okay. Which is something he hadn't anticipated. Yeah. So he met this guy. There was this guy. His name was Marion Hedgepeth, and he was a notorious outlaw at the time. And so they were cellmates. And he got to talking because he's got a big mouth mm-hmm. uh, and revealed his his life insurance scam to Hedgepeth. And um, Marion Hedgepeth gave him the name of a crooked attorney to help him collect the in- insurance scam money. The only catch was he had to promise to send Marion Hedgepeth for, like, a finder's fee. (laughs) Oh, my God, this guy. Yeah, once they they collected the insurance scam money. Yeah. So, how he eventually got out of jail was he got in contact with his wife, Georgiana Yoke, Mm -hmm. and he lied to her about why he was in jail in St. Louis, and she bailed him out a couple weeks later and uh he ended up after that he ended up in philadelphia 
so that they could do their their whole scam. So Carrie Peitzel, uh, she tries a last last minute effort tries to uh, convince them to not uh, go through with it, but uh, eventually sh- she agrees. Okay, to go along with it. H. H. Holmes, obviously that's an alias, but Ben Peitzel adopts an alias too. B.F. Perry, and he poses as a patent dealer in Philadelphia, and Could they get this little shop. Being like the detective on this case, or whoever would be investigating this, trying to figure out who all of these names are, and finally realizing they are all like basically two people. Right. Like what a wild like cat and mouse chase that would have been. I feel like. Exactly. That's what I was thinking when I was like writing all these different names. Um, How that, confusing for you. Yeah, exactly. There's, like, all these different names, and and they somehow knew that they were all tied to this H.H. H. Holmes guy. Yeah. So that had to be a lot of crazy detective work. Yeah. So he he was a patent dealer, right? And so, which I'm not entirely sure, but it it sounds like inventors just go there and they patent their inventions and i don't know he must have some type of authority to do that i i don't know how that all worked back in the late 1800s i don't know but what happened uh when they tried to do their whole insurance scam was that uh instead of faking benjamin peitzel's death h.h holmes just went on ahead and just killed the guy <laughs> yeah i mean what's a killer always a killer right yeah so plus he knew a lot of his secrets so the day that he his body was found an inventor came in and he didn't see anybody uh in the lower like office area so he went upstairs and he found uh, Benjamin Peitzel, who was under the name B.F. Perry, he found him laying uh, on the floor upstairs, and his face was burnt and mutilated. And they actually... He he died from chloroform. Okay. If, okay, two things. Face stuff f- creeps me out. Like, ugh. Face stuff, burning, that whole thing creeps me out. Do they know if... He, did he die first? And then the mutilation happened? Do we know? They, well, H.H. Holmes, when he confessed to it, he said that he tied his wrists and ankles up. And he, I think that he was drunk already because he was a pretty heavy drinker. Okay. And he, he burned the guy. I don't, I think that he kind of knocked him out and then burned him and made him drink the chloroform because there was a whole bunch of like liquid chloroform in his stomach and the only way that they could figure out that it was chloroform was because there was a large amount in his stomach okay because they could only go by the the smell and the look of it because they didn't have the kind of testing that it would take to figure out um what type of a chemical compound it was okay that makes sense yeah. So he kind of, the with the whole face burning thing, 
what he was trying to do was fake like an explosion, like a chemical explosion or something like that. But forensics were very rudimentary at that point. Like you, you couldn't test blood or anything. You could, if you had a stain that you thought was blood, you could test just to confirm that it was blood. Okay. So it was, it was pretty hard to, um, I mean, I'm sure for any of his victims just to find evidence. Yeah. Um, so Ben Peitzel needed to be identified, uh, by a direct relative and by Holmes, uh, in order for them to get their payout. Uh, and so Carrie Peitzel at the time, she was back in Chicago. Um, she and her three youngest kids were very sick. I'm sure it was like some type of influenza or something like that. And so she couldn't go to identify him, which she thought that everything was going to plan. She didn't think that he was dead. She thought they were still going with their, their whole scam. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So she sent her second oldest daughter. She was a fifth, she was 15 at the time. So she sent her across the country. The oldest daughter stayed, stayed, uh, with Carrie and the three younger kids to try and take care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so Alice had the awful task of traveling to Philadelphia to try and identify, uh, her father. And they were really hard up for money. So it was a hard choice, but she, she sent Alice and, they positively ID'd him, and the coroner actually ruled it an accidental death. Did he, like, pay off the coroner? Uh, who knows? I mean, he definitely oh, could have. He's yeah. quite the con man. Right. Uh, so, Holmes put Alice up in this hotel in Indianapolis and kind of left her there. Okay. And then he he returned back to um, Chicago to uh, see Carrie Peitzel, and he was alone, not with Alice. And so she was kind of shocked. She's like, where's my kid that I sent out to you? And he convinced her that she was with Benjamin. She was safe, just hiding out with, with her dad. He wanted, he was trying to convince her that, uh, it was best for him to take Nellie Howard and possibly, little baby Wharton. Oh, little Wart. Little baby Wart. <laughs> yeah. Take him with because if she was going to go across the country, then she would have an easier time and uh, not be noticed as much if she didn't have so many kids in tow. Okay. So he was trying to kind of split them up further. Uh, and the, the insurance company uh, ended up paying the money. Uh, paid it to Carrie since she was the beneficiary, but Holmes finagled most of it uh, away from her. Okay. So the plan was that uh, Carrie and the kids that she she still had with her were going to meet up with H.H. Holmes, with the other kids, with Benjamin, who she still thought was alive. And so, uh, you know, serial killers obviously target vulnerable people and she was definitely a vulnerable person at the time yeah because she was essentially a single mom at the time because she you know her husband was you know halfway across the country so she thought he was actually dead 
Um, so uh, he travels uh, with the kids. Um, he goes, gets Alice. Alice starts writing letters to Carrie, but she's not getting them. Okay. He uh, arranges for Carrie and her two kids uh, to stay at different different places. So he's kind of like putting the ki- him and the kids up in different hotels, putting Carrie and the other kids up in different hotels and kind of just playing mind games at one point. He um, had them staying like a couple blocks away from each other and he just never thought about like, like it's a mother. She's probably missing her children. No kidding. And the, ki- yeah. the kids are probably missing her too, but he just kind of kept shuffling them all around. So he's he's not known for keeping his word, as we know. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like to pay people. So he made one pretty bad mistake. He didn't send his old cellmate, Hedgepeth, that $500 that he promised him. So that guy was kind of mad, pissed about that. And he reported it to the warden. He was like, hey, so this guy that was cellmates with me, he told me his whole plan of this insurance thing. And uh, I read about the death of of the guy that the insurance claim was about. I read about that in the newspaper and I think he's trying to do that scam. So the warden and um, the state, they investigate him and they use the Pinkerton Detective Agency, which was really famous. Um, They actually prevented an early assassination attempt on Lincoln and they destroyed a Confederate spy ring. And they were actually the uh, innovators of the mugshot. Ooh. Yeah. I. Those are like, that's one of those things that you don't think about, like being invented. But someone had to invent right. it. A mugshot. Right. Exactly. So they, the Pinkertons kind of tracked him. And they ended up finding him uh, and apprehending him in 1894. Uh, in Boston. Okay. And he was tried for fraud in Philadelphia um, over the uh, insurance scam because with all the information that the Pinkertons had collected and everything like that, they kind of reinvestigated that whole insurance claim. Mm-hmm. Um, so he pled guilty to fraud, but he also claimed that uh, it was suicide. Oh. That the guy, which... Uh, I don't know about that because uh, his face was burnt. Right. Okay. All right. And yeah, exactly. And also, um, there was way more chloroform than he probably could have consumed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, uh, nobody could find the other the three kids that he was kind of um traveling around with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this detective guy, um, his name was. Frank Geyer, he uh, took on the task of trying to find these three children um, who were missing, the Peitzel children, and he started his search in 1895, and he started by looking at the unsent letters um, that Alice had written. He ended up locating the children, but they were not alive. He located the charred remains of the little boy. No. And yes. And then he dug up the bodies. I just said I hate burning stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And he dug up the bodies of the 
two little girls. He found them in Toronto. So mm. he was he was all over, all the, place. over the place. Uh he was and he was also in the papers like this was during the Jack the Ripper times. Mm. And by the way, there was also there's also a theory that they think that H.H. H. Holmes is He's. Jack the Ripper. Okay, yeah. Yep. So that's a theory out there too. So Americans had seen all the headlines of Jack the Ripper and everything like that and they just kind of thought that they were safe and nothing like that could probably happen uh, until they saw all this stuff about H.H. Holmes. He was an instant villain. Uh, Like we said earlier, they called him a Mm -hmm. multi-murderer. And so the police, they, in July of 1895, they enter the castle, trying to make sense of everything. They find in the basement a dissection table caked in dried blood. They find women's undergarments with blood on them, human and animal bones. Mm. Most of them are charred. So how they would identify bones was more by how they looked, like the structure, like the, gosh, I took anthropology. I should, I should know what they're called, but you know, like the little ball things on the end of bones and like stuff like that. Like, (laughs) I know what you're talking about. The joints? Um... Well, I don't know. I'm but picturing a cartoon just... bone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, the, the two ends on the cartoon bone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that. So most of them, they didn't have the luxury of, you know, identifying like that because they were all just mushed up pieces. They found also uh, in the vats of acid, they found like nine ribs in there. <sighs> and there was apparently a lot of missing people um, that were reported to the Chicago police uh, during that kind of time period Mm -hmm. and 50 of the missing persons cases Mm -hmm. were traced back to the castle. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, at least 50 people, if not more. The castle was set to be like a murder museum, uh, which, you know, Victorian people had this weird kind of obsession with death oh hold on you Nicole know, like, just chimed in about the bone thing the two knobby things that we're thinking of yeah she says emphasis some is the call the emphasis of a bone okay does that sound familiar Ma- yeah. <laughs> she says that maybe maybe i don't know i mean if we're wrong someone tell us someone educate us please on bones <laughs> she's like not right. a doctor here hi neither <laughs> we spent twenty thousand dollars learning how to blow dry hair okay <laughs> And don't ask us. Don't ask us. I can give you a hell of a blowout, though. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody ended up trying to burn down the castle because, I don't know, they probably thought that it was, you know, an abomination to kind of profit off of people's misfortune. So while Holmes was in prison for all of this, he was approached by William Randolph Hearst. Okay to the media mogul to get uh to get his story he uh, he kind of just embellished things and Mm, he just he just confessed to basically everything he he wanted to kind of make himself look like the worst monster ever just kind of lean into it i guess yeah i mean at that point you might as well i guess yeah i mean he he was super narcissistic and Mm. so he was probably enjoying a lot of that attention yeah 
during his trial, he, um, he fired his legal counsel and he represented himself. Never a good, we just talked about this with Ted Bundy. Never a good idea. No. Just don't do it. Nope. So he, he kind of realized that he was failing uh, miserably representing himself <laughs> at a certain point, And he brought his uh, legal counsel back in, which probably had something to do with the fact of him being a narcissist and probably just wanted somebody to blame, mm-hmm. to be able to blame. Yep. Um, so Carrie Peitzel, she testifies. Okay. And she actually testified for hours. She was on the stand for hours she cried and they were reading uh letters uh from alice that were never sent and there just there wasn't a dry eye in the house except for hh holmes Mm -hmm. of course yep so they they also brought georgiana yoke up onto uh the stand to testify and he cried when he saw her but not for any you know not because he felt bad or for any of his crimes yeah he was sentenced to hanging is actually what happened to him um yeah he was found guilty of first degree murder and he you know before he was murdered he had that the interview and had a book put out um like how we said um with william randolph hearst Mm -hmm. um getting that story um so the castle is no longer there. It, it didn't, when people burnt, burnt it, it didn't burn completely down. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just damaged. And I believe that it actually was torn down in the early forties. Um, but now it's a post office. It's the Inglewood, Illinois post office. Oh my God. Is it haunted? The grounds have to um, be. Well, most of the post office is not on the section of the the block where the castle was. Okay. Um, there's only a very small portion. There's like a, a wall that kind of would, would have been possibly part of where the basement area was. But most, there's kind of a, a grassy knoll, I guess you could say, behind the post office. Okay. And that's where the castle stood but i i mean people there have been ghost hunters who've uh had access to the kind of the the bowels of the post office oh my god has ghost adventures been there zach baggins i have this weird thing for zach Um, baggins (laughs) i'm not sure i'm not sure if he's been there but there was there's a guy who does uh, haunted tours in Chicago and he has been there and has a few uh, videos on YouTube about going there. It's kind of it's kind of hard to get back there. You gotta kind of crawl through some like crawl spaces and crawl over some like pipes and stuff like that. Oh, for sure Zach Baggins would do that. Oh yeah, definitely. Him and his douchebag trip pants. Oh, for real. <laughs> back when Hot Topic was like good. Right? Oh my god. They're not good anymore. Man, don't even don't even fucking get me started on hot topic, man. I know it's my sad. emo heart breaks every time I think of it. I know. I last time I was in one, it's like it's mostly like anime stuff now. Now listen. Okay, guys, look and listen. The main hot color in hot topic, the main colors should be black, white, and red. I don't maybe some lime green, maybe some royal purple. It should not be a colorful fucking store, okay? 
There are more colors in Hot Topic than there is in an Abercrombie and Fitch, if that store even exists anymore. It makes it, it does. It, okay, I don't know. Aeropostale, that's the one that's like no longer existing. Anyway, Hot Topic is supposed to be for the emo kids, the goth kids, you know, the metalcore kids, screamo kids, right, the rock kids. Yes, it's not supposed to be for people who like Ariana Grande. Anyway, right? it's for people who like Invader Zim. Right. Blackville Brides, and, Avenged Sevenfold, yeah. Children of Bodom, Amaranth. Come on, guys. Oh, it makes <laughs> me so mad. Oh, it makes me so mad. Anyway, back to H.H. Holmes. Um, yeah, actually, that's that pretty much wraps it up for H.H. Holmes. He was such a... I had no he, idea he was such a con man. Yeah, he's a real big con man. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea that... One, I didn't know that he traveled all throughout, basically... Um, and kind of left bodies a little bit. Had no idea he was such a con man either. I I thought that he just had like this castle that he did torture in and murdered people and people came to him is what I thought. Yep. But wow. I'm pretty sure he also probably uh, got a lot of victims from doing botched abortions and stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is so mm-hmm. Okay, so. So he was a real piece of work. Yeah, he sounds like a piece of work. Um... Yeah, I can't believe I didn't. I feel bad being like a, a true crime murder fan and not knowing about H.H. H. Holmes, but now I know. So I feel a little better yeah, about yeah. being a fan and saying I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, right. So are you ready to hear something scary? Yes. Okay. Has anybody sent in their stories? Yes, they have. Um, okay, so we've gotten a few really good ones. I know this person. It's a childhood friend of mine, um, of my family's. And so I'm not going to lie, I read halfway through this story and I was like, this is some good shit. I want to be surprised when I read it live. Okay. So (laughs) here we fucking go. Here we go. Yes, let's get spooky. Okay. This is freaking nuts. So yeah, like I said, I only read half of it. Wanted to wait because I know that the end of it's going to be good and I like want a real reaction. So, I'm ready. Yes. I, like, I'm i not sure if this person wants to rename, rename, remain anonymous. The names are in the story, so sorry you put the names in there. So here we go. Okay. So it says, the second night after my husband, Nathan, and I got married, we were coming fa- back from the Wisconsin Dells through New Lisbon, Wisconsin, where the rest of my family had rented a cabin the weekend I got married. My parents offered we stay in this cabin on the way home as they had left one day early from Minnesota where they lived. Nathan and I agreed it would be a good idea since we were tired and it would break up our trip from the Dells back to La Crosse apartment, which is like about an hour drive. Um, The cabin is located in a relatively secluded area of pine trees. It had two levels, a main level and a finished basement, about six bedrooms and decor that looked like it had been frozen in time from the 1980s, which like so freaking cool. (laughs) So besides a couple of crosses on the wall and a few stuffed animals and dolls, the um that was the only really like creepy vibes it gave off to me when i walked in however while nathan was taking a nap in one of the bedrooms in the basement and i was in the shower he had a quote unquote dream i would call it that for no other word that i could think of although some have suggested it sounds more like an astral projection experience which i will add is not something either of us believe in weird in this I know in this dream and this is where I kind of stopped like stopped reading 
So, in this dream, he was outside the cabin walking through the wooded area around the fire pit, the same pine trees and fire pit we had seen earlier while exploring the area around the cabin. He said he had felt a terrible feeling something, quote, um, feeling, quote, something bad was coming towards the cabin to us. Um, Kelly is the girl's name, her in particular, and he rushed quickly back to the cabin down the stairs and said he saw himself hovering over me, saw what I was doing as I walked from the bathroom into the room, and then felt like he, quote, went back inside his oh body. Oh my god. I just got goosebumps. Now, That's freaking weird. I know. Now, this is what she experienced. So, she saw, he then bolted upright in the bed and looked me straight in the eye and said, quote, they're here. Oh my god, like poltergeist. Unquote. I just got fucking chills, man. They're here. Oh, they're here. Oh my god, I have head to toe chills. Okay, it says, and we both heard three distinct knocks upstairs. Oh my god. I was not. I know. Holy Trinity. Yes. Oh, I have such bed chills. It's insane right now. Okay, so we both heard three distinct knocks upstairs. I was not freaked out at all yet, which girl. You fucking should right? But I was not freaked out at all yet and ran upstairs thinking we had visitors from the wedding. It was dark and I could see flashes of heat lightning in the distance which gave off an even creepier vibe. I yelled towards the wood, guys, come around the other side of the cabin. Guys, Ange? And I'm assuming that's like a person that she was Oh my god, she was outside? I was outside in the dark? Oh my god, no. No. I know, I know. Oh, I know. And anyway, she says, And I went around back of the cabin and no one. Nathan had gone to the back door when he heard the knocking, but no one was there either. We would have also seen someone leaving down the driveway if there had been someone there. I began to call everyone we knew from the wedding and who would have been known or who would have known that we were staying there, thinking they could have stopped by, including my parents, my two sisters, and my maid of honor, Ange, but they were all far away. Only my family and Ange knew where we were staying there. Only my family and Ange knew we were staying there anyway. That's when Nathan began to tell me about the dream he had had, and I began to feel an uneasiness set in my stomach when I realized he had said the words, they're here, before we had heard the knocks. Oh my god, no! I know! <sighs> so then it goes on to say, I found... I found a scrapbook slash album about the history of the cabin upstairs, and we began to oh, read it together in the science yeah. of the cabin. Hell but we yeah. never came across, but we never came across anything remotely creepy being mentioned in it. Finally, closing the scrapbook and putting it away, I said dismissively, "It must have been a tree scraping against the side of the cabin then, just to calm him down." And we went back and forth about this for some time. Finally, he looked at me and said, "You know that wasn't a tree branch, Kelly." <laughs> And he was right. I finally gave in and admitted I, too, heard three loud knocks upstairs. But what was unsettling is that neither of us knew who or what had caused it. Finally, to take Nathan's mind off of things, I put in the DVD Your Highness, which is one of his favorite guilty pleasure movies. Halfway through, Nathan said the creepy feeling he had would not leave, so I asked if it were better if we just packed right up then and drove from New Lisbon to South Lacrosse in a thunderstorm and slept in her own apartment. And he said, yes. I would. And he said, yes. So we left. We called Nathan's dad, who was a pastor, and on our way home and told him about the experience, but he didn't have too much input into what we had experienced, except he mentioned, if you start having weird dreams and hearing knocking and you can't identify where it's coming from, it's probably time to leave, which <laughs> you think, yes. 
To this day, none of our friends and family have come forward to say that they have been playing trinkets on us that night, so we doubt they were. Um, and knowing like their family, I doubt that anyone is playing tricks on them. Because this is like, this is unreal. Like, wow. It's insane. Yeah. Since each of us had ran to separate um, doors after we heard knocks and we didn't see anyone down the driveway, and I even went so far as to walk around the cabin without seeing anyone, we have our doubts it could have been a living person. So she says, which I thought was, so that's like the end of the story. Um, so fun facts about New Lisbon. The actor that played Red from that 70s show is from there. Her husband grew up not far away in Nesita, and he claims there have been several creepy stories about things that have happened in the New Lisbon area, including a friend of Nathan's who claimed he watched the snow fall on the ground around the cemetery, except for a spot where a shaman is buried. Also, oh. I know. I want to hear more about that. Get your friend to please write in, Kelly, because <laughs> I want to know. Also, there was a Catholic splinter group who formed a cult not far from there, which I think we also should look into. Um, Definitely. Um, Nathan said they kept the body of a deceased member with them for some time in an attempt to, quote, resurrect them. Oh. To this day, my husband will not stay in a cabin, and I have thought several times about contact the, contacting the owner of this cabin and telling them of our experience to see if anyone else has experienced anything strange like the knocking I have, but have not done so yet. So, maybe they can send them this podcast, which I say yes. Please send them this podcast, because a few things. I want to know the location. Is it on Airbnb? Can I stay there? Can I visit there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I want to know if any, right? Girls trip. And I want, <laughs> and I want to know, Nicole just chimed in. She's like fucking insane. Yeah, dude. That gave me, I'm so glad that I didn't finish that story oh reading God. it. And I got to witness it while reading it to you. Cause I like started tearing up and had full body chills just out of like pure emotion and being creeped out. Yeah. Like that is, that is like I know that is fucking insane, dude. Kelly, thank you so much for one listening, supporting us, writing that in, tell your family, say hi, um, and yeah, this is gonna be airing in October for our one of our Halloween episodes during the month of October. So yeah, super cool. And that is the uh, scary story for the uh, for the week here. Pretty nuts. That huh? was a really. That was a really good story. That is what I am fucking taught. That's what I want to hear. That is so yes. good. Right? We should rent that place and do a podcast for Oh, it. my God. I have just... <laughs> I still have chills. This is insane. I just love that story so much. Um, but, yeah, if anyone else has anything uh, crazy they want to tell us, it could be paranormal. It could be true crime. Um, it could just be like a weird experience that you had, like Brie and her stuffed animal. My mom messaged me about it, and she said that she was walking alone, doing walking alone, and listened to it, and she was creeped out. So, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if anyone has anything, any stories they want to write in, uh, perfectstranglerspodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, perfectstranglers.com. Uh, um, Instagram is perfect underscore, perfect underscore, unders, oh my god, I'm drunk, guys. <laughs> Instagram, help me breathe, perfect underscore stranglers. Twitter is perf stranglers. Please share with your friends and family and talk to them about, ask them, ask them their yeah, creepy please. stories and have them send them in. You can, you can also message us on, find us on Facebook, 
Find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. You can message us from all those as well as our email and our website. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts because it helps us to get seen. Yes, please do that. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, like, rate, and subscribe. Yeah, until next time, stay spooky and get ready for the Halloween episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.